Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hockman. Joining me this week is former, former University of Minnesota Duluth goaltender, Jessica Convery. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Totally welcome. Uh, I'll kick it off with, with the first question I always, I always ask, which is when did you know that you wanted to become a goaltender? Oh, okay. Um, so I actually grew up playing soccer um, until I was about eight or nine, and I just played some street hockey, um, just like kind of every kid grows up doing playing in the street. Uh, we ended up moving to a different neighborhood, and a lot of people around me were playing hockey, so I kind of transitioned to roller hockey for a year actually and then I moved to like a learn to skate program and just got put on like a a house program team and you kind of just rotate around and once I put the pads on that was that was it you were hooked (laughs) I I was hooked so from then on I I stuck with goalie I was about 10 years old um at that point so it was history from there were your siblings big into sports as well growing up um, I have a younger brother and sister, so I actually am the first person in my entire family to get into hockey. So it was actually opposite. My brother and sister got into hockey because I was playing and they saw me playing. So I was the first one to kind of get, get that going, um, between the, my siblings and I. Did it get competitive between you guys? Not really. Cause, uh, there was a pretty big age gap. So, um, they were four years younger than me, so I, it wasn't really something that we did together at all. Because um, I, I actually did train in Canada, so I wasn't really doing any of my training locally in Michigan. Well, at 10 years old, 2007-2008, you joined the Farmington Hills Fire, which was actually their first ever girls team. What was that experience like for you, and, and how important was that to finally have an experience with an all-girls team? Yeah, I mean, it's really important to to kind of make that transition. It's actually funny because we lost every single game that year, like eight nothing. So it was a good learning process right from the get go that, you know, things aren't going to go your way all the time and you learn from your losses. Do you think it's important? It's an important experience for young girls to play hockey with the boys growing up. I, I mean, I can't speak from experience. But that seems to be the case for a lot of girls growing up playing hockey. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's it's all that people have. That's their only option is to play with the guys until they get a little bit older because sometimes areas don't have as many young girls involved. Um, and that was my case. I, we didn't have a lot of girls playing. So we started off with the boys till kind of girls team started to form when I was younger. So I think it's important to get into hockey any way you can. Um, whether that is the boys or the girls, because you can always make a transition um, into girls later in life. Would you say it's more difficult for young girls and, and young female goaltenders, especially to find a good competitive team that will help them develop? So it, again, it, I think it's area. I got really, really lucky um, to have a lot of hockey around me uh, with a lot of programs that were fielding a lot of girls I did train in Canada I think that was my big hurdle is I couldn't find someone who's really specialized in the goaltending position to to go and train with um other than up in 
in Toronto. So I think that was my hurdle. It wasn't an issue real, of really getting to a team that, that could develop me um, in that regard. Playing-wise on a team in Michigan, it was more of special the specialization within the game. No, yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, I mentioned it in um, when I first introduced the podcast. Like, I didn't have a goalkeeper coach until I was 15, not for lack of not for lack of access, but for I just I didn't know where to look for one, you know? Yeah, exactly. At what point did you realize you were starting to develop as a goaltender at a faster rate than the girls around you? Um, that's actually a funny question. I thought I was actually behind because I got such a late start. Um compared to the girls I was playing against. So I I thought I was behind all the time. So I probably overtrained in a way looking back, but I always wanted to be the best. Um, so I put in so much work to be at the very, very best I could be personally. I didn't really try to compare myself because, I mean, it's hard when someone's playing, has been playing six years and you're just starting out to really compare yourself um person to person and that's an interesting mental part of the game as well just because you see this person who's who's certified themselves as you know as a goalkeeper and a goaltender ahead of you and you know what they're capable of so you're always constantly comparing yourself to them and you're making sure that you're always a step ahead of them yeah yeah so I mean I think one of the the biggest things on the mental side of trying to compare um actually my coach at Duluth told me this she's like do not don't look down at the other end of the ice worry about what you're doing worry about what you need to work on don't look down there because they have different things they need to work on and different things they need to focus on so don't compare yourself to the other person on the other side of the ice that's great advice um before we get to Duluth however 2010 to 2014 Mm -hmm. You were the backstop for my favorite team name on, on the planet, the Honey Baked Hockey <laughs> Club. Uh, yeah. Where, where you were a state champion three times, a national quarterfinalist twice, and in your last year won a national bronze medal. All, all accolades aside for a sec, how important is it for a goaltender development to stick with just one club? Because you stuck with this. But I know a lot of goaltenders who bounce around going from team to team. And that proved to beneficial to their development as well. Yeah, I think just sticking with one team, you really form a bond with all those girls that are your age or a year above or below you. Um, and it kind of just, it, it doesn't change much. Um, so having a bond going into the next year and years building is really important, I think, just to carry on that team, team mentality year to year. What, you know, when you first joined that team, what is that, what what would you say is necessary for a goaltender to be able to build that bond with the rest of your team? Yeah, it's just going in, you know, trying to meet new people because they know you're new if they've been there for a while. So they obviously want to get to know you, but you got to kind of have to put yourself out there and, and try and make bonds with some people on the team that are going to be there probably with you through the whole ride as well. Well, after that ride with the Honey Baked Hockey Club, 2014, you're a freshman at Mercyhurst University, which is still, to this day, one of the top women's programs in the country. But before we get to your career there, at what point did you commit to Mercyhurst and, and why? 
<laughs> oh gosh. Um, I actually committed super, super, super late. Um, you know, I was I was contacting coaches of my schedule to to reach out to me if if they were interested, kind of thing. Um, and over the summer before my freshman year there, I called them up. I said, I'm really interested. You have my major. Um, and they were like, well, we just, we, we have three goalies. We don't really need, need another one kind of thing. And they called me a couple months later and said, Hey, one of our goalies left. Do you want to come? So I committed, I think early March of my senior year. So I was couple months from graduating high school and I just finally figured it out um I picked there because it just kind of felt like home there it's a small campus small community um and I just I loved everything I about it the feel I got when I stepped on campus was it just felt right and that's important I think for a lot of not just goaltenders but but college athletes who may be listening is it you know the program itself might be attractive but if you don't love the school or you don't love the area then that that should tell you everything you need to know because you need to love everything about the school and the program and, and, and the athletics, I mean, excuse me, and the academics because you're a student first. Yes. Yep. It's like the broken leg rule. If you have a career ending injury, you want to be able to be comfortable on campus and going to school there still. So I think that was really important in figuring out where I did want to go. I wasn't really afraid of breaking my leg, but thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, the, the Mercyhurst women's program, being perfectly honest, is a lot more highly regarded uh, than the men's. What dynamic, what's, the, what's that dynamic like on campus? Is it competitive? Do you see a lot of support from the men's team? Do you guys support each other? What's that like? Yeah, we're, we're actually pretty supportive um, of each other. We usually go to games when we have a chance. Um, we see each other on campus. So on both ends, we... we we were both supportive of each other. We, we see each other all the time on campus. So there wasn't really any bad blood between us at all. I think we were just, we knew we were there for hockey. We wouldn't be going to the school probably if it wasn't for the hockey. So we're kind of all in the same boat going through similar things, being on the ice every day and, and trying to reach the goal of, of a national championship. And that's great because I just know from experience that it can get competitive between programs. You want to be, you know, it might, it might not just be you versus the other team um, on campus. It might, it, you know, you want to be the team to watch. You want to be the one that everyone's cheering for, that people get, that gets the most fans. And it's really important that you, as an athletics department, support each other. Yes, I agree. So at Mercyhurst, you were Goalie of the Week three times, Goalie of the Month, and the Hero of the Week, which I love that title. Um Individual accolades and awards are always nice, but anyone who plays competitively knows that those awards don't really mean a whole lot to you as the individual. I mean, I'm also just speculating, but what would you say is the most rewarding part of your time at Mercyhurst? I think one of the best moments was being a part of the CHA championship. Just, just as a team, that's one of our big goals is to win the league championship. And that was just a really awesome experience. And then, getting to move on to the the final eight um, in the same year. So that was a, that was a big, big moment um, winning a championship with, with all the people beside me that worked so hard all year um, to win. I mean, that's great to hear. And and after the 2017 season, 
you decide to transfer to another very highly regarded program at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Why? You know, there's a there's a couple things, um, kind of financial financial hardship kind of got in the way in a in a way there, and you know they were North Dakota just folded. They were bringing in a fourth goalie, um, and I I just ultimately decided that Duluth was a better fit um, financially and and position wise. Um, it was an Olympic year, so. Um, shout out Maddie Rooney for winning the gold medal, but she was off to, to be, um, down in Florida for the year. So there was kind of a little bit of a opening over at Duluth and, and I kind of just took a leap of faith because I wasn't guaranteed any, anything there play time wise. So I just, I thought maybe, maybe a change was needed, um, based on how some things were going, um, over at Mercier's. I remember that year. That was a that was a really fun year to watch for the U.S. women's uh, women's hockey team. Yeah. Well, you got playing time, and in your in your season at 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 Duluth, you were the uh, three time player of the week, NCAA first star of the week, NCAA third star of the week. But on the notes that you sent me, off to the side in parentheses, you wrote surgery one March twenty seventeen, surgery two March twenty eighteen. And surgery three, April. What happened? Um, I I just had some hip issues, you know, being a goaltender and and doing all that training on the ice, it it takes a toll. Um, so I think my junior year at Mercyhurst, the summer before, I was just I was training and I kind of felt a little like tug and a and a click, and I kind of was stuck. So I, I ended up tearing my labrum the junior, my junior year before I went in into Mercyhurst and I ended up getting surgery after my junior year um, when I was transferring as well, which was, which was a lot of pressure and, and it was scary, but same thing happened during practice. I, I tore my other one, got stuck. So um, actually played through most of that season with with a torn labrum and got it fixed again um, after my senior season and then just needed to go back in and, and fix up some bone regrowth in 2019. What was coming so, back from that like for you mentally? The first time without knowing what what to expect was was a little daunting because I, I didn't know if I was going to be as good as I was going to be before if if it was going to be a long process, a short process. So going into it, I just knew I had to put 180% into, into my rehab to get back to where I was in that short period of time, that five or six months I had to be able to get back on the ice um, for my senior season. Um, the other two weren't as daunting because I knew what to expect. I knew everything that could happen. I knew the pain, how to deal with the pain, um, so the first one was definitely more challenging than the, than the other two. Before we keep moving forward in your career, I want to talk more about just the mental aspect of the game, because as I discussed in, in my last episode with Kevin Boyle, who plays for the Detroit Red Wings right now, about 90% of the game, arguably for goalkeepers and goaltenders is mental. What, yeah. what would you say are some things people just don't understand about the mental aspect of the game for goaltenders? Because for me, I, 
could never handle the stress? Is it too much pressure? Um, you know, what's it like when you're getting heckled from by the fans for, for 60 straight minutes, you, you know? Yeah. Um, I, mental prep is super important. Um, I never really, you, you mentioned fans. Um, I never, for some reason, like when I was in my zone, I didn't really hear anyone except the people that were on the ice with me. So getting into that zone and, and knowing how you handle pressure as well is, is just a learning process and you, 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 you get the hang of it eventually. Um, so, I mean, I think it's super important because people are different. So people mentally prepare differently. And so knowing how you mentally prepare is, is one of the most important things because some people are really quiet and some people like to be joking around and, and all that before the game. So knowing how you handle pressure is, is um, a big learning curve when you are getting up into those higher levels. It's interesting because, you know, for, as in soccer, obviously we don't have the luxury of, of, of the boards and the glass and, and the fans being, you know, a little bit more separated from us um, than, we, than you guys do in hockey. So you, got, you, have, you sort of have that, that physical barrier, and that does, I'm assuming, it, I can only imagine it blocks some sound. But with soccer, you know, they're, yeah. they're either, especially as a goalkeeper, sometimes they're almost five feet right behind you because the field will end and they'll just yeah. put up a fence and you just have to listen. You either, you either you hear them for, for 90 straight minutes or, you know, I've had stuff thrown at me like water and stuff like that. Um, and yeah. it's, it, you know, every goalkeeper is different in how they handle it. Some like I'm, I, in instances, yeah. I'm like you where I almost don't hear anything. Um, it's interesting. Like I have, I've had teammates that like that, that are field players that, that tell me that like, I don't even hear the coaches when they're yelling at me. Like I'm just so focused <laughs> on, you know, on the yeah. field and what's around me and in my little bubble. And, and I think what, I think for me, the most important thing about keeping your, your mental aspect on the game and on nothing else is if you, if you start to think about anything else while you're in the game or even while you're in training, it throws off what you need to be focusing on. Yep. Or anything negative, like, oh, I'm going to let this in or, oh, this is going to happen. Like focusing on what you know you can do is is a big part of it because putting negative thoughts into your mind is is subconsciously hurting you. So I, that's a big learning curve as well as knowing not to be negative before you're going to go into something. And we all, I mean, as goalkeepers, we, we all know that, you know, we're going to let in goals and we can't we can't let that define the rest of the game for us. So, I mean, I, I'll ask you, what's your advice for not only just goalkeepers in general, but especially the young developing goaltenders who don't really, or might not really know how to handle that um, sense of defeat for a second of the game, you know? Yeah. I would just, you know, forget about it as hard as that, as easy as my, that might sound is just forget about it. You can, you can talk about it after the game if you want, but in that moment, you really just have to drop it and move on because there's still game to be played. All, all I heard growing up and, and all through college, I heard was, you know, you letting a goal, even it's, it might be in training, it might be in, a, might be in a game. The first thing I hear from my goalkeeper coach is, short memory. 
and you're just like, oh yeah, I, yeah, I forgot exactly. about this. Um, I feel like it might just be me. Um, I feel like there's a growing pressure, especially these days, on female athletes who are at the top of their game, with the spotlight seeming get, seemingly getting brighter by the day. What's one thing you've seen change surrounding how people talk about and cover women's sports, I suppose, both positively and negatively? I think it's it's grown so much. The support, the people that actually watch and are go to games and finally realize that there is talented female athletes and hockey players in the world not necessarily just in the United States, but all around the world. And I think it's grown a lot and it's shown, I think there is a growing number of younger girls now starting and wanting to play hockey because they see news people covering it or games online now of females playing hockey. It's, it's not necessarily just, I guess the males being covered, um, but it's growing on the coverage, which is, it's, it's awesome. Um, I guess the ne- I guess a negative is is we still don't necessarily have all the resources um, that we could have um, as high level female athletes um, past I guess the the college game. Yeah, I, I remember I was actually at the NWHL All Star Game. It was their last year. It was the last one before everything shut down, um, and for the hardest shot competition they literally had somebody sit behind the net with a goalie mask on and a, and a, and a, a radar gun. And I was just yeah. thinking, and they had this, the, the, the fastest skater competition was being done with a hand time and a stopwatch. And I was, I just kept thinking, I'm like, there needs it, it this can't be it. There needs, it needs to be better. Yep. And it's just simple things like that too, like just the technology that that gets provided is is different. So, just simple things like that that could be different in the women's game. Moving back to your college career here, um, after the twenty eighteen season ends, you decide your collegiate athletics career isn't over, and you decide to play for the women's soccer team in Minnesota Duluth. That's pretty incredible for a few reasons. The first being, I know by my senior year, my body was in absolute shambles and I needed a break. The second being, I don't know a lot of people who could take a four-year break from a sport and still come back ready to play at the Division One level. <laughs> I don't know if I was really ready to play, but um, I don't know. I, I, I love soccer before I started hockey and I just, you know, yeah, four-year break's hard, but also being a part of a team, you know, I wasn't necessarily going to be on a team anymore in Duluth and I had an extra year of school. I just really thought that, you know, maybe I'll try it out. Maybe I'll try and see if I still got it. Um, you know, I, you know, I didn't really play much, which wasn't the worst thing ever because of how much my body was going through and went through with hockey. But it was just a, it was a cool experience to, to meet new people and and kind of delve back into the sport of soccer. No, I mean I was incredibly impressed when I saw that, and I mean I because I just know from experience a lot of those guys that have it or a lot of those guys or girls that have another year, 
either they don't they don't play they don't just play a different sport they'll usually just go into a coaching role or they'll be an assistant or they'll be a team manager just to be around because i i completely understand that desire to be around the team atmosphere but not a lot of people could really just transition like that and i I absolutely commend you for that and that's that's thank you very welcome that same year you were drafted 18th overall by the Worcester Blades of the CWHL. Talk me through that process and what that season was like for you. You know, I was I was on the soccer team at that point. I got a phone call from the Worcester the Worcester GM and he just said, you know, I the draft's coming up. Um I really want to draft you and I was like, well, it's awesome, <laughs> cool. obviously, but like I, I had a commitment, you know, I was on the soccer team. I committed to that and I, I don't like breaking or kind of leaving a commitment I've made. So I did, I did talk to the, the soccer coaches at Duluth and they were so supportive of, supportive of me, you know, going and taking this opportunity with Worcester and, and still I still got to be a part of the soccer team, which was, which was awesome as well when I was, when I was around. Um, But from, from the draft in Toronto for the CWHL to, you know, actually putting on the Jersey, it was, it was a cool experience. We got to go to China, um, which was another cool place that, you know, you you usually don't get to go for just for any, just sport in general. So that was a cool experience. It was a little different than college. It kind of gave me a, a taste of like how different college was compared to the professional game for, for females in, in hockey. Um, so it was, it was different, but it was, it was an awesome experience. And I, I did learn a lot. PWHPA, the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association. Now, we could have an entire separate podcast dedicated to this, which I'd be more than happy to do, by the way. But over the past, <laughs> we've seen major development and growth surrounding pro women's hockey. I ask you straight up, yes. what's been done well and what needs to change in order for it to continue to grow and, to, and, and improve, but not, not just but for the players? Yeah. Um, you know, what's been done well is, is our marketing and, and getting sponsors to come in and support us. Like we have the PWHBA has a lot of big, you know, big name sponsors. They just announced a partnership with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like that's huge to have an NHL team come in and say they're supporting us. Um, earlier before the Toronto Maple Leafs announced the New York Rangers announced in support of us. So I think big, big announcements like that are really going to kind of catapult the league into in the right direction to kind of just give, give us the, like, not even, it's not even really about the money. It's about the resources, the, the not having to work a second job or third job just to be able to live in a house or pay rent or buy groceries, the facilities, the the practice times that aren't 11 p.m. at night, and then you have to go to work at 6 a.m. the next day, just things like that that you know we're we're starting to kind of tackle, but they they still need some work. You know, we're still in a, a work in progress, trying to get resources that are going to give us a good chance of of having everything we need, just like just like the men. Absolutely, 
I'm really excited to see where it continues to grow. I've, I, I would like to claim fans since day one. Um, and I, I, I hold those beliefs dearly. Um, but yeah, this, this was, this was a lot of fun to talk to you, Jessica. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, of course. Thanks again. Absolutely. Guys, this has been another episode of just for keeps the podcast all about goalkeepers. I've been your host, Carter Hawkman. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps.